We are back and we're going to be reviewing Toy Story 4. It is my favourite sequel about toys that escape their owner, go find somewhere new, turns out the place isn't as good as what it seems and finds out that the protagonist is not necessarily the protagonist and yeah you get where I'm going but it's still a great film. We're also going to be doing our Black Mirror special where we're going to be talking about the second episode in season 5, Smithereens and finally me and John talk about Paul Rudd in oh so many ways. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, a film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. We are back. Yes, we had a slight vacay because I was away on holiday. But to bring in the ceremonies, I've got my boy back with me, John Descamento. How you doing, pal? I'm good. I'm currently topless and in front of a microphone with a fan on my back because it is a heatwave, Flinty, and the world is dying. Um, what about you? <laughs> How are you doing? I've... I've uh, I've basically become a Simpsons meme of following a fan that rotates around the room and I've resorted to just taking everything out of the freezer and just just putting it on a bed and lying on it. That's the the only way I'm getting through this at the moment. That sounds sounds pretty sensible. But uh, I was in Spain last week and it was so hot, like unbelievably hot. And I kept like so Cut a long story short, basically, I've got away with my, my wife and daughter. Uh, my daughter's about two. My wife is about five months pregnant and can't really do too much. She just wants to relax and chill by the pool. And my daughter was kind of had enough of me because I can't do relaxation very well. So around about two or three in the afternoon, I'd go run to this gym that was about a mile away. And everyone would always look at me like I'm an absolute fucking weirdo when I was running to this gym and every time I go to this gym it's empty I was like oh this is incredible and I kept asking the owner I was like why is it always empty at this time he goes because it's so hot no one dares to go outside <laughs> you're a jet setter flinty aren't you all over the world well yep Spain Clacton the next day who knows where <laughs> anyway should we crack on with our first review sure Everyone, Bonnie made a friend in class. What a, oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. I want you to meet Forky. Uh, hi. Hello. Hi. Ah. He's a sport. Yes, yeah, I know. John, Forky when is the this most trailer came out, Toy Story 4, we were kind of, well, I was anyway, very sceptical about why do we have this film? Why does it need to exist? What's its purpose? Because I think it's fair to say that Toy Story 3, they knocked it out of the park. It complete, it completed a loop. It done a great story and it, it ended the story of, of Andy with his relationship with his toys. And and now here we are with, with Toy Story 4. It's out. And uh, before I go into my review, where are you on the scale on this? Were you looking forward to this or kind of questioning why it existed? Very sceptical at first, uh, dubious about their intentions. Uh, but then the other day I saw an interview of Tom Hanks and he spoke about this and he said, he basically said, there's no time schedule and when someone has a great idea for it, they'll make one. Uh, so, and they haven't made a bad Toy Story yet. So I've actually come around to the idea and I'm really hoping it's going to be good. Um, and you are going to have to tell me. And <laughs> <laughs> You know what I love? You know what my favourite Toy Story sequel is? What? It's the one where the toys somehow get lost and end up in a place which seems really good, 
but then there's actually someone there who seems really friendly but turns out to be a bit evil and then they have to escape from that place that's my favourite Toy Story sequel yeah the second one or the third one or the fourth one (laughs) it is playing on some very similar tropes Uh, that being said sorry that started off very negatively first and foremost ladies and gentlemen my name is Adam Flint I'm 33 years young and I liked this movie but uh, to go into the details so basically this film is set a few years after the events of Toy Story 3 Woody and the gang have been living uh, with the new kid from Toy Story 3 uh, in a very happy and coherent way the kid is moving into a new school and uh, she's very apprehensive very nervous and one of the activities in the new at that at this new school is to is to make a toy and that's what she does she makes a toy and she makes forky which is a spork it's voiced by a gentleman called tony howe who's absolutely hilarious in this and essentially forky becomes sentient he becomes alive and all of a sudden he is like what the hell my purpose was to be a fork or a spoon or maybe something in between of that my destiny was to end up in the trash i don't want to be a toy and woody and the other guys are essentially yeah at the start of the film are like well your purpose is now a toy you must bring joy to kids and this is what it means to be a toy really really interesting dynamics and yes there are some subtle undertones here of a fork who believes he's trash and isn't deserving of anything whilst at the same time woody trying to come to terms with the new world and kind of where does woody's story go it's kind of interesting that they've made a film which very much is focusing on woody but uh, they've still carried on this narrative we kind of thought in the third film that was it he's done but there are there were some interesting questions over where do we go from here so basically uh New kid, going great, toys are fantastic, Forky comes along and they end up going on a road trip together. Uh, During this road trip, the toys go missing and upon their new journeys, they discover a theme park. And at this theme park, sorry, a carnival, I should say, or fairground, whatever it is, depending on where you are in the world, basically the travelling circus. And um, upon the toys stumble upon this new area, they, they... they bump into Bo Peep again and you find out what happens to Bo Peep because it's funny, it's absolutely fascinating about this character. Do you know how many minutes Bo Peep has had in in every Toy Story movie up until this point? 14? Six minutes. That's the only amount of airtime Bo Peep has ever had up until this movie. Yet the character's had such an impression on Woody. She's kind of like his moral compass. She's always the one who dusts him off and sort of makes him the, the, the sprightly, do-gooder, sheriff that he is so i found it fascinating that you know with six minutes they've managed to instill that logic of a character that we've known and and known as part of the gang even though that one throwaway line in toy story 3 when woody says we've lost people along the way and looks down and says bo peep for a moment and that's another thing i want to go into i generally believe tom hanks deserves a fucking oscar for this performance he's such a good voice actor he is such a great great character developer however you want to describe that he's a great producer he obviously has inhaled the character he has been he's birthed the character in terms of the the expressions the voice and everything in between of that he really emotes in this film now i know people say oh it's just animators doing that but they obviously feed off the actor that's doing the portrayal in this case tom hanks he gives a sterling performance and there are new toys in this we have a new bunny who's voiced by jordan peele we have got a stuntman called duke kaboom who is voiced by keanu reeves and anyone who is skeptical saying oh you've just picked a flavor of the month with keanu reeves because he's having a bit of a moment in the internet at the moment 
he recorded this stuff two years ago, right? It's just great timing that all these great projects are, are coming out at the same time. Uh, we've also got, got Keegan Kay, who's playing a character called Ducky in this. Absolutely fucking hilarious. And, uh, and yeah, I suppose the bigger sort of new addition I want to give a shout-out to is a character called Gabby Gabby, who is kind of the bad guy, kind of not. I don't want to go into much more details than that. Uh, voiced by Christine, uh, Christina Hendricks. Um, she's in Mad Men, to name but a few things. And she really does bring levity to the character, and she brings an emotional weight to this. Um, if you think back to the previous bad guys they've had in these films, I think about Lotso, the, the big bear. Um, imagine that, but with a far more tender, loving, and actual driven purpose. And, you know, Deep deep Down's actually a good person. I, I generally really, really enjoyed this film. I do think they've decided to sacrifice the screen time of the original Toy Story game to bleed in these new characters, obviously with the exception of Woody, because he is the, the main character in this, to the point where Buzz is essentially an idiot, just a bumbling buffoon in the background, which is quite timing wise is probably quite fair because Tim Allen's been a bit of an idiot with some of the stuff he's been coming out with in the press of late right so we can kind of subconsciously go no yeah you are a fucking buffoon at the moment so that's that's quite cool Um, yeah this film touches on the feels it's 24 years in the making Um, there was a video that I shared on our Twitter account earlier on in the week of how much Pixar has evolved over those 24 years and yes when you look at Toy Story 1 it does look dated as fuck when you compare that to Toy Story 4 that being said, it is timeless because it is timeless storytelling and that is no exception with this movie. This is timeless storytelling. It is definitely in the top four Toy Story movies. <laughs> if I had to actually rank it, I'd go Toy Story 3, Toy Story 4, then Toy Story 1, then Toy Story 2. That being said though, Toy Story 2 with that song, uh, When She Loved Me, like that get, that cuts me deep. Oh, what a and song. What a song, what a song. And there are moments in this which does bring a bit of water to the eyes but I don't think it will hit the same emotional chords as the previous films did and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing there is no real peril in this film where in Toy Story 3 you really felt it but look I'm going to stop comparing it to the previous movies and just judge it on its own merit I really enjoyed it I thought it was a great emotional experience I thought Tony Howe is fantastic uh, I do think the MVP though has to be Christina Hendricks she really really does emote in this role and I think she is fantastic Keanu Reeves is Keanu Reeves do kaboom huh, huh. and I was listening to an interview of the director and they were saying oh when you when you approach Keanu Reeves about the role and we're talking about uh, Duke Kaboom uh, and you know for the record for those who don't know is Duke Kaboom is basically a stuntman toy and he's Canada's famous stuntman and Keanu Reeves during his uh, first uh, audition for this was just like what's he afraid of <laughs> why is he angry at the world and you know apparently he was just asking completely crazy questions which the director was not prepared to answer whatsoever but it just all added to the the charismatic charm that Keanu Reeves brought to it I thought it was fantastic it's a worthy sequel I don't know if this is going to spawn a whole new series of Toy Story movies. I hope it doesn't. Then again, I kind of hope they finished on Toy Story 3 and they've pleasantly surprised me of this. I'm going 4 out of 5. That means it's absolutely fantastic. Possibly in the conversation for film of the year. Definitely the best animated movie of the year so far. Um, but it is not hitting the same heights as Toy Story 3. All right, Flinty. Do you know, uh, when they started work on the first one, I didn't even know you existed because uh they started in 1991 isn't that amazing that's insane it's insane 
And of course, I met you two years after that when you abandoned me in the <laughs> playground. Not that I want to bring, I don't want to relitigate these things, but it's important every now and then our listeners know the origin stories of how we met. Um, you know, that fateful day in the playground when you abandoned me. <laughs> well, abandoned gate aside, uh, I think you'll be you'll be pleased to hear though that it was worth the abandonment abandonment issues, John, because the Toy Story films are fantastic. <laughs> They'll probably base a Toy um, Story about it one day, hopefully. Maybe maybe that script you've been you've been uh, been coining to want to write for years is is going to be there. It's going to be called Abandoned Toy Story. Um, but speaking on that, actually, one of the themes that have been in all the Toy Story movies was that. Um, the feeling of being a toy and getting lost or being abandoned was a bad thing and it's always been a bad thing and the interesting thing is you learn about what happens with Bo Peep and there's an interesting dynamic of she's actually done all right and she's really happy and she's made a life for herself and and I hope I don't come across as being a dick from this please know this comes from a good place but I'm so happy to see a film in 2019 where they do have an interesting female character and they've just done it right. It's not on the nose. It's not... You can tell a lot of thought and attention has gone into this. And that is what 2019 storytelling should be. And I think the way they portrayed Bo Peep is fantastic. Well, that's good to know. I can't wait to see it, Flinty. I'm hoping for a five out of five, but I will I'll let you know in the next pod. Oh, there we go. So there you have it. Toy Story 4, four out of five. You gotta go, you gotta go. If you should... You know, you've handled this lost toy life better than I could. Open your eyes, Woody. There's plenty of kids out there. Sometimes change can be good. You can't teach this old toy new tricks. You'd be surprised. Bonnie? We're going home for you. News. John, are you a Sherlock Holmes man? I love the series. Um, that's about as far as I go, really. I, a cumber, a cumber bitch, I, and a Martin Freeman, a free fan. <laughs> I don't know whatever they're called, but yeah, I love the series. That's as far as I go. Nice. Uh, apparently, the character has been portrayed seven hundred times in pop culture. Bit excessive. Seven hundred times. I oh, know, just a bit. <laughs> um, but anyway, someone looks at a crowded marketplace and said, "We want some as well." <laughs> and Henry Cavill is going to be playing Sherlock Holmes. In, but he's not going to be the main focus. Actually, the film is going to be called Enola Holmes. Anyone who knows the the law of Sherlock Holmes is that he has a fourteen year old sister. And the news is that Henry Cavill is going to be playing Sherlock Holmes. But actually, I find it far more fascinating to hear that Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things and Godzilla, King of Monsters, is going to be playing the lead in this as well. Are we excited, John? Is this interesting or is this a, oh, another Sherlock thing? Um, I don't, yeah, I, don't, I can't say I'm that. Um, I'm just, for some reason, I'm thinking of all the Sherlock adaptations. There's a lot of them, isn't there? Sherlock Gnomes on Netflix. The kids love that one. There's that <laughs> awesome uh, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley movie, com- slapstick comedy. Um, but I don't know about this one. It sounds like it could be interesting. Is it kind of just passing the torch onto a female uh, character, a younger female character? could be interesting what about you how are you feeling about it uh i don't know i think henry cavill's fantastic actor i love him in man from uncle um i also think he is very very good 
in uh, Mission Impossible as well, and obviously a great Superman. Um, but that being said, I think we're going to be flooded with Sherlock over the next 18 months or so. Obviously, Benedict Cumberbatch will probably come back and do some TV work with it. We have got Robert Downey Jr. is going to be returning uh, to Sherlock with Guy Ritchie with that third Sherlock movie they're finally getting around to making. And we've got this version coming out as well. I do think we're going to have a bit of... There we go. I can be that pompous guy who keeps bitching at me for liking comic book movies and go, oh, we're going to have Sherlock Holmes fatigue. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm excited enough, I suppose, from that. But I'll tell you what I am actually excited about. Is that um, Lena Headley, obviously the legend that she is. Uh, she's had, what a year has she had? I mean, first of all, fighting with my family. She's fantastic in. Uh, obviously, Game of Thrones, it didn't go the way she wanted, as she has made it very clear in the press about. But that being said, she's still part of the biggest TV phenomena to ever happen. And she got paid very handsomely for it. Anyway, she is carrying on with the big paycheck. She is going to be on Netflix's prequel TV show to The Dark Crystal, Asia Resistance. Um, I saw the trailer for this the other day. Oh, my God. The Dark Crystal, was that one of the things you loved growing up, John? No. Um, no, I don't know it. Oh, mate, you are missing out. Dark Crystal is fantastic. So it's Jim Henson, puppets, that sort of era. Think about Labyrinth for that sort of time around then. Uh, and Netflix, they know they know that those people that loved that stuff when they were kids are now adults and they have disposable income so they are targeting these people like motherfuckers and they're going ah okay what sort of stuff do they like ah they like Game of Thrones do they we'll get some of the cast to voice some of the characters in this oh and for good measure chances are they're probably Star Wars fans we'll get Mark Hamill to do a voice in this as well the cast is literally every 90s kids fucking dream Um, I, I can't be any more excited about this and it's a tv show which means we're going to get hours upon hours worth of content and um, so long may it continue so if you weren't a, if you weren't a dark crystal guy did you watch flash gordon growing up yeah loved a bit of flash gordon loved the music especially oh my god right you can't get a better soundtrack like you, you, you can't and why and you know i'm not going to slag off bow rap because i i'm ladies and gentlemen my name's adam flint i'm 33 years young and i liked bow rap <laughs> um, but i i've got to say why the fuck did they not talk about the flash gordon soundtrack in that film anyway um, taika waitiki is involved in an animated flash gordon movie it is due hopefully to be coming out around 2021 according to reports and disney are going to be funding this boom that, that, yeah exactly mic drop <laughs> amazing animation You've got an amazing director and writer being involved in this, taking a classic story. And there is an argument to say that in Thor Ragnarok, it is essentially a love letter to Flash Gordon by the soundtrack, by some of the story beats. So I suppose this is just natural to to be going in this direction. Yeah, I've got a feeling that's pretty exciting news, but I've got a feeling the next piece of news is even more exciting for you, Flinty. Oh, my God. I've been campaigning for this for for fucking ever. (laughs) Danny Boyle is back with the 28 insert denomination of time later franchise and he has a fucking great idea for his 28 weeks days whatever you want to say the next film in the 28 days What's the idea uh, then franchise He's kept it kept it stumped and rightfully so 
But I think this is going to be heavily influenced in a, about being a post-Brexit world. I think there's going to be a lot of political uh, messaging and satire in this. All right, this is music to my ears. I have, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that every time Danny Boyle pops up in any form of conversation, I always give that caveat of stop what you're fucking doing and make a 28 movie as fast as you can. So I am so excited about this. Um, I have no idea where they're going with this. In fact, I'm keep. I'm literally. I'm going to be searching the internet and i'm going to be begging every marketing contact that we've got for any information and when are they looking for extras because me and john need to be raging (laughs) zombies running at this this will be fucking incredible they're definitely going to need some podcast host extras for sure oh exactly exactly that's the the right media for it but yeah um so a lot of people are thinking you know naturally it'll be going 28 years later what i would really like to see is i'd find fascinating i don't know if people would agree with me but um to not do a dimensional time later but do the 28 hours of the infection when it spread through the country and what does that mean and what does that mean to try and survive in that i i always find personally that post-apocalyptic films are only good when you you see the journey like the journey for me is far more interesting than the end result so I don't want to see a 28 years later movie where it's just basically another bland sci-fi that you you, you don't know how they got there or, or care. Where if I saw a film where it was a very recognisable Britain being turned into this new world, I'd find that a fascinating concept. And I'd, if I was doing it right now with my fan casting hat on, I would call it 28 hours and I would base it from the moment that monkey escaped from the Cambridge facility in the first film. Mm. Well, there's still time for them to change direction. So if you're listening, Danny, make Flinty a happy man, please. Otherwise, I won't hear the end of it. (laughs) Then it'll literally be another four or five years of Vigad's job. They need to make another 28 (laughs) 28 podcasts later. Yeah. Ah, anyway it's just been great news for me all fucking week to be honest so Ghostbusters let's just get straight to it they have just cast someone incredible Mr. Paul Rudd is going to be in the new Jason Reitman movie The Ghostbusters I don't know when it is coming out I can't think off the top of my head but how exciting is this John like how charming is this man and how lucky are we to have him in this film He, I mean Paul Rudd can put the icing on any cake so yeah great news and i'm i'm enjoying the staggered sequels i have to say leading on from 28 days later and toy story i think if there's a few years in between a sequel it shows that they're not just doing it for the sake of it and there might have someone might have actually had a good idea come to them rather than had a timeline to make something so um yeah so essentially kids if you're looking through cinema listings over the next couple of years and going oh okay so there's Toy Story movie the Godzilla movies uh, there's Ghostbusters movies and there's a Charlie's Angels movies you're basically you're 90s kids now okay that was basically what it was like for us growing up and what a time to be alive so embrace all this sort of stuff did you see the, the video that Paul Rudd uploaded oh so funny no I didn't so he's basically out the front of the, the fire station and he's basically just like, ah, oh, a lot of people are, are here enjoying the, this magnificent building. And then he steps in front of the camera and just says that um, I got the call to be in the new Ghostbusters movie as a young slash semi-young handsome man. And I'm so excited. I've just slimed myself. <laughs> in fact, I'm sliming myself right now. I was like, oh, you're so funny. So anyway, I 
put on our Twitter account uh, saying, okay, we've got Paul Rudd, amazing, cast three other actors you'd like to see to make up this new Ghostbusters team. And the names I threw into the mix was Donald Glover, mm-hmm. Ellen Page and Randall Park with Paul Rudd. What do you think about that? I think it's ticking a lot of boxes, Flinty. Uh, I like it a lot. I think it's a genuinely good lineup. I don't think I could better nice. it. Nice, well... Good. Uh, a few people have posted back, so I'll give a few shout-outs. So, Land of the List said Bill Hader, uh, James Franco, and Brian McBride. I, I think that's a good one. Strong, strong. I think Franco would be would be hilarious in this as well. Franco needs more comedic roles. He's he's great. He is he is li- he's incredible actually. Like I li- everything in I watch, I think oh, I'm not going to enjoy it or I I don't really care. But then I get sucked in. He's actually. Even when he's not doing comedy, he is—he's such an—he's such an encapsulating actor. He just sucks you in somehow. But um, anyway, so the Cinema Roll podcast—they got back to us and said, obviously Paul Rudd, Woody Harrelson, Nick Offerman, and Rain Wilson. Oh, I mean, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> oh my days, that'd be incredible. And Nick, Nick Offerman. If you watch, um, oh god, what's it called? Parks and Rec, like Rod Swanson. How good would that be? Yeah, that's a strong lineup. I like that one. Very strong. So Ross has posted up. Bill Hader, twice he's appeared now. As is Anziri. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but the guy from Master of None yep. slash Parks and Rec. Nice. And Christian Christian Bell. Oh yeah. Okay. I like it. I f- so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Christian Bell, funny, funny lady. Um IMDB Journey Podcast. Thanks for this guys. So they got back to us and said, obviously Paul Rudd. Uh Zuri Deschanel, very funny lady. Uh this guy, I can't, I never remember his name. Uh, Karen Sonny, um, uh, Dupinda from uh, Deadpool, not to mention a couple of other things, and Hannibal Buress. So, I mean, literally, there are so many good names out there you could put into this. But I think it's a great start that we've got. We've got someone like Paul Rudd uh, leading the charge with the names being being touted for this. Obviously, this is not slagging off the previous film. The previous film has its own thing, and the way I say it is that. If you like Paul Feig movies, then you're going to love this. If you go in wanting a Ghostbusters movie, then you might be disappointed, but there is an audience out there for it. So, you know, it is a shame that they weren't allowed to continue their vision from that perspective, but I am fucking stoked for this film. For sure, man. Well, I mentioned it earlier. Let's talk about some trailers that dropped. So the Charlie's Angels reboot slash remake trailer uh, dropped earlier on in the week. Uh, Elizabeth Banks is directing this. Uh, we've got Christian Stewart in this as well. Naomi Scott's just named but a few in this. I mean, Naomi Scott, you've been the Pink Power Ranger, you've been Jasmine, and now you're a fucking Charlie's Angel. I mean, you are literally collecting all the cards. You are going to be the coolest person <laughs> if you're not already on the planet. That is pretty cool. Yeah, strong. Oh, an amazing lineup for this movie. Uh, it looks a lot of fun. I'm glad Elizabeth Banks has put herself in the movie as well. I think directors should do that more often i like it nice and patrick yeah, we've got we got patrick stewart in it as well literal royalty <laughs> i i love that man and just when you see his face light up like oh it's it's stew i love him <laughs> uh, so yeah i'm i'm pumped this this looks great i think christian stewart looks like she's really having fun with this i love the fact that her and, and her fella uh, mr r pats have literally been like a, nah we're doing a we're doing our own thing we're gonna do like the small independent movies and then they've both decided in the same year to go you know what fuck it i'm gonna be batman and you're gonna be a charlie's fucking angel mm-hmm. 
because when we do it we go big so <laughs> I, I i love that they've, they've kind of pivoted into big blockbuster territory and rightfully so they've got the fucking chops to um i'm excited about this i think it's going to be pretty cool i think the action looks incredible and i can't although you see a lot you can't really put together a narrative from it so i think that's always good as well uh so yeah not really much more to say about this just uh just want to see it for sure and uh another one that dropped was midway of course independence day uh creators uh, have made uh what how would we describe this a true war blockbuster epic based on <laughs> what are you laughing at <laughs> based on I'm Pearl laughing Harbor. at the I'm laughing at it's the big dumb blockbuster guy making the big dumb blockbuster war movie yeah. and they can't even say based on true events they go <laughs> it's real yeah definitely something like this happened it's fine um yeah I mean it's always I feel you know I love a, the war film genre I don't know why I don't particularly like wars but bloody love a good war movie um and it always feels a bit weird with that crossover of big blockbuster shiny kind of film and based on the true events of world war two or in this case uh, it's, it's pearl harbor and how it went down there um i'm definitely here for it it looks exciting but pff, cheesy at the same time um which is what more do you expect it's the independence day guys yeah i mean i always sit and go oh these guys are just 2012 was so bad <laughs> but they always they always find a way of of making that that popcorn flick and they they go big they go the spectacles there uh, you think of day after tomorrow i actually really enjoyed that um they also made um independence day as you mentioned also the godzilla movie in 1998 so yeah they've got pedigree of entertaining us right so let's just hear what they got to say and um, that being said i'm not gonna be racing to the the press screener on this one and um, but yeah I'll go, I'll go take one for the team take one for the team <laughs> and just to wrap off news because this literally was dropping um as we were putting this pod together uh, Melissa McCarthy has oh, sorry, Melissa McCarthy has been uh, hired to be part of a live action remake of The Little Mermaid. Um, apparently she's going to be playing Ursula. Wow. First of all, I didn't know they were even making this, so that's that's news I suppose in itself, but yeah, like I think it's probably a good fit, but I don't know if she can sing. And what uh, after Aladdin? Now a lot of people will tell me, "Shut the f up! Look how much money Aladdin made." And I, I completely agree with you; it made a lot of money. But I do argue this: watch that film and tell me it's amazing. I can't think of many people that actually would. And think about the original: did it do it justice? The answer's probably not. So. Disney probably need to take stock for a minute and just go, whoa, let's not churn them out every five fucking seconds and just see if we've got here because you've got some big bankers already, but you're going to get to a point now where the well is going to start drying out. And if you're losing goodwill from film to film to film, then it might get a little bit turbulent. But let's face it, who gives a shit about who Ursula's going to be? I just want to know about one character and one character only, and that is Sebastian the motherfucking crap. <laughs> All right, who who do we reckon? Who could do it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, should we I mean, completely twist it and not make him Jamaican? I mean, <laughs> the thing is, right, because they, they kind of, they went and got, um, what's his name, Ewan McGregor, to be Francois, the, the candlestick guy, in 
Beauty and the Beast. And that was a train wreck. Like it was it was like a, a poor French man's impression, right? It was like it was it was borderline offensive. <laughs> so you probably should go native if you're actually going to, to do that. But I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who could voice Sebastian the Crab. I mean, you know, it'd be quite funny, actually. Who? And this is completely counterintuitive to what I just said. But get Jermaine Clement, because he done the voice of that big crab thing in Moana. And the post credit stinger is him still on his back, just saying, if I was Jamaican, you'd care. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of like a bit of a, a meta in-joke then. Uh, yeah, he could definitely do it. John Barnes could have a go, just putting it out there. Well, he could do the rap, couldn't he? <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so there we go. Melissa McCarthy, John, do you, do you, are you a fighting fan of this? Are you a ma- uh, fan of this decision? Uh, it seems like, uh, it seems like it would be a good fit, but I, uh, like you, I wasn't really aware they were doing a live action remake of this film. I guess it makes sense because they're running out of, uh, old Disney movies to remake live action. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting a let's see how lion king goes shall we and then i'll make a decision after that and obviously bob Iger, ceo of disney will consult me and i'll let them know whether i've got given them the green light or not well let us know what you think on twitter at talk filmy to me and that's your news for this week streaming gems Part two of our streaming gen coverage of the new season of Black Mirrors. We are at the halfway point, kid. If you remember from our previous pod, we absolutely loved the first episode. And now we are here to talk in spoilerific detail about the second one, Smithereens. Now, it goes without saying, if you have not seen the second episode of season five of Black Mirror, just, just, just go away, watch it. Then stay away from social media because it's fucking creepy and then come listen to this podcast because we are, as mentioned, we are going to go into spoilerific detail. Now, John, before we go through the whole narrative points, first and foremost, initial reactions. Did you like this episode? I really like this episode. Um, Obviously, the season started with a great, great episode. Uh, Episode one was brilliant. So it had a lot to live up to, but I thought this one was a completely different thing. It's set somewhere completely different, had a different feel. Uh, So it was really refreshing. And yeah, it was kind of quite thrilling. I just didn't know where it was going to go next, um, who was going to come along. And yes, definitely really enjoyed this episode. Ending, controversial, but uh, we'll get onto that. What about you? <laughs> I So if I think back to our review of the first episode and I said, I don't think Charlie Brooker's got anything to be angry about anymore. Um, so he refers back to instances on his own life and kind of makes creepy stories up out of that. Then he goes and fucking makes an episode like this. He obviously has something he really wants to say about the state of technology and uh, two-factor authentication with devices and social media. Because that's the kind of premise of this, right? The idea is that... Um, just by utilising someone's digital footprint, you're able to find out far more information than traditional methods of, of uh, I suppose, police work. And it shows how ill-equipped we are as a society to really deal with this, where the effective, basically it's Facebook, um, are able to get more intel on a person at a blistering pace than any sort of form of police work has done in the past. I thought it was a really interesting duality. 
Um, you had the old style coppers uh, knocking on doors and doing some good old fashioned police work to come up with some assumptions where when they're reporting back, it's literally the Facebook company, Smithereens, are running the shots. They've literally got the FBI on one call. Oh, we've got to patch in, reverse the phone back. And everything. goes, yeah, we knew that. We knew that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that we'll help you. So oh, I thought it was really interesting from that standpoint. Yeah, I enjoyed this episode, but I thought it was a throwaway episode, if that makes sense. I thought, I don't know if I've seen a more heavily satirical episode that there was so much yeah. going on. Every, it was saying so much, uh, maybe not since the very first one, i.e. Uh, the pig one. Um, have you yeah. seen so much? It's just so layered and loaded with, uh, you know, comments on culture, gun culture, uh, Facebook quite clearly and uh, I mean down to the CEO of Smithereens is, looks quite a lot like Jack Dorsey doesn't he on a silent retreat um, and you, <laughs> what I liked you were expecting when you finally got to meet him which was like building up you know I'm glad you got to meet this fictional CEO you meet him and you think he's going to be a complete like caricature and he is to an extent but it's never not believable you know that's what I really liked about this mm. episode. It felt like it could get silly in several places and it kind of kept itself in check a little bit where it wasn't completely r- ridiculous like maybe one other episode in this series is, which we'll get to uh, on another podcast. But um, yeah, so I I absolutely loved the satir- satire in this episode. I think it was absolutely loaded true it's interesting you say that because i think other than saint junipero or episodes where they deliberately go back or forward in time i think this is the first episode to ever put the year as the present and state that so like the first scene you see is the the taxi waiting outside the smithereens office at the time you're just believing it's a uber guy just basically waiting for the nearest thing obviously you learn on later on that Andrew Scott's character was basically stalking that place. And it flashes up London 2019. It's almost like this is Charlie Brooker saying, this ain't fictional, folks. This can fucking happen right now. Mm. And no one is policing this. Like, he wanted to ram that down your throat. He didn't realise it right at the start, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, it's completely relatable, the whole thing, Um, which is great. I love when, obviously, the benefit of this, uh, this show is that every episode can be completely different. And this one completely felt true to life um in ways that he'll do every now and then he'll throw it in and it'll just hit you in the in the feels um and make you think about so much stuff from our own lives um and i thought that was what this did amazingly all he did was change the names and make up a very uh possible narrative which could you know there's absolutely <laughs> nothing in this that you couldn't really conceive of um right now which was the genius of it andrew scott did an incredible job as the lead role uh you know straight off his uh flea bag fame uh in which he absolutely you know was was incredible um i'm really glad great acquisition to cast him and he does an amazing job um yeah i i agree with that so controversial ending flinty in the mm-hmm. way that it kind of wasn't a clear ending. You don't get to see what's going on. You kind of just see people's reactions. Um, I actually love it because 
I mean, it's kind of, especially, I think it's a big comment on gun culture. We're so desensitized. You get a notification. Oh, 14 dead in mass shooting, blah, blah, blah. Okay, swipe left, move on with your day. You know, nothing matters anymore. It's just day to day, fed down your throat. And that's sort of what gun culture has has become, particularly in America, maybe. Um, and, you know, to the, an extent, terrorist, terrorism as well. I mean, I thought it was kind of genius that it didn't let you know. It just showed you the reactions because I think that was kind of the point. Um, what, what, how did you feel after the initial, you know, unsatisfaction of uh, <laughs> not knowing what <laughs> happened in that car? So this is why I think this is a throwaway episode is because this is so true, true to real life at the moment in terms of capabilities that these media companies have with our data, but also how ill-prepared our armed forces are in the UK, but also around the world. If you think about lack of funding that's available at the moment under this government for our police forces. Uh, also, the nature of human beings is the fact that um, we are so addicted to our phones that by using our phone too much, it's caused an accident. And obviously, the the main character at the centre of all this was as a result of his own addictions to his his phone and everything else in between of that. Obviously, the main protagonist in this story is a result of his own usage of his phone. And the film ended with, like you say, everyone looking at their phones, being notified of this event going on. And even the song being used in the background, "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You." Yeah, literally, too good to be true. You're you're just heavenly touch. I want to hold you so much. It's literally talking about our obsession with phones at the same time. Now, the reason why I say this is a throwaway episode is because that is so true of society right now and the way we are. It's not creepy because it's just that's the way things are, which means it doesn't stay with me. So that is why I literally I nearly forgot about the episode the next day because it's just like that's that is reality right now you've just held up a you know pardon the pun a black mirror which is uh the reason why he called black mirror black mirrors because our phones are literally controlling our lives and they look like a little black mirror um so yeah i am it's a good episode but it's not a great episode that's my takeaway from it so far yeah interesting i don't think as a, as a throwaway episode as you say but i do i know what you mean um i think it says a lot and it's really well made but maybe it doesn't linger the way others have in the past so um but i do think it's a really solid episode um i yeah definitely definitely let's talk about the the characters in this there's one thing i have to say is that and i hope again i hope i don't come across as a dick for this but i kind of noticed every male character outside of the two guys in the car is portrayed as a bumbling idiot like it's literally every male police officer was terrible at their job the negotiator was terrible it was just like a i get the whole let's address the balance thing but it literally did feel like you've just reduced every male now to being a bumbling oaf and i don't know is that now the, the new form of lazy writing i don't know i didn't notice that myself until you mentioned it um i mean the the female police lead she was kept in the dark about a lot of things um so i don't know i don't know if i buy that flinty maybe if i rewatch it through that lens i might notice it more but i'm glad to say i didn't notice it i was watching it with my fe feminist wife so i might have been more cautious about bringing something like that <laughs> <laughs> oh no I, I i literally i mean it in a i don't mean that in any other way than just uh you can't just empower 
female characters by making the male characters stupid because that's just not that's not good writing still in my opinion um and I use the example of Bo Peep and fucking Toy Story, like they've done it right. And um, I, and, but then again, you know, what do I know from that perspective? So I don't. Maybe it's maybe I maybe I'm completely off the mark on that. But that was just my initial thoughts when I was uh, when I watched that. Let's talk about the cast. What do we think about the intern uh, uh, played by Damson Il- Idris? Great job, um, really well cast. I think he just. He played it perfectly, didn't he? He all he he had to be shit scared, a genuinely shit scared kind of young man. Um, I think he was brilliant, and he played off Andrew Scott really well. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. As someone who's been on a graduate scheme and <laughs> has been an intern, I appreciate where the kids coming from. You have to dress to impress and fake it till you make it. And the truth is, is that when you see these young kids walking out of these buildings in you know, suits with all phones looking like they're they're the shit. The truth is, is that they're on minimum wage and they're just doing their absolute best to to scrape up that ladder. And uh, I completely empathise. And yeah, the only person who's going to know who he is is the HR woman that put him on his desk that day. You know, so I I thought he gave a great performance. Um, he does a lot by not saying much. Uh, there's lots of scenes where he is essentially just processing. He's hearing for the first time uh, what Andrew Scott's character's been through and you know, how do you respond in those scenarios and everything else I thought it was fantastic from that point of view so it's kind of hard to do but let's score this and uh, do we think it's better or worse than Striping Vikers Striping? Striking Vipers I should say oh I don't think it's quite as good um, but I think it's it, very close it doesn't close. stay with you I think excellent on entertainment excellent in terms of production but it's not eerie it doesn't stick with me the way that uh, that striking vipers does or you know that scale as we said before the black mirror scale of one being i am as uncomfortable as fuck this is like the pm fucking a pig <laughs> to number five being saint junipero i'm kind of happy of this uh, future um this kind of doesn't sit on the scale because it's this is the this is the present this is how we are right now maybe that's the intention but uh, yeah it's definitely i think there's a big difference between episode one and two in terms of uh, of overall quality but that being said yeah it's still very worthy of being on black mirror and everything else on that i feel i want to go three out of five but i feel like you'd want to go four well are we marking it as one being the worst Black Mirror episode ever and five being the best. Uh, yeah, let's go have that scale. That doesn't mean what I was talking about earlier. I mean, I'm not saying the PM one is worse, but let's just let's just say that for this for this conversation now, one is terrible, five is fantastic. Where does it sit for you? Ah, uh, I I mean I'd go with a four. I think it's not the best Black Mirror episode, um, but it's it's comfortably it's it's a it's a good one what about you well i'll i'll agree with you under this basis that Toffer grace um who plays the ceo in this he kind of redeems a lot of the fit shortcomings in my opinion because he could have easily have just been a stereotypical mark zuckerberg zen guy and he those moments where he turns the computer off and he walks out on his phone he's human for just a second and he explains i'm not in control anymore 
this is just a juggernaut where we've got algorithms that are powering everything and forcing the obscene to be to become normal and i'm i'm just trying to stay afloat and it's those scenes of humanity which really got to show his acting chops even though he could have easily have phoned it in and just been an absolute dick and that would have been you know would have been enough to get the job done but obviously he went that extra mile i think in my opinion so i agree with you four out of five is good andrew scott's you know is fantastic that rant about uh, how people engage with their phones too much when he's under the bridge only to find out that it's because of his obsession with his phone that it killed his wife and uh, yeah and all the shocking revelations that come from that so I agree 4 out of 5 thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast if you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it please click on the like subscribe follow whatever button it means that you get more content from Talk Filmy to me also if you're listening to this over the weekend we are doing a giveaway on our Twitter account at the moment where we have a pop Funko of Slimer yes to celebrate the news that Paul Rudd is going to be on the new Ghostbusters movie basically all you gotta do is follow Talk Filmy to me on Twitter and retweet the post to be with a chance of winning and you can be part of the talk filming to me winners club which is people like rob we've got ben tons of people getting involved it's all good anyway enough plugging john how can people find you you can find me on twitter uh liking all of your posts and doing all your uh, uh voting for all sorts of nonsense at descamento <laughs> There you go. Next week, it is Spider-Man Far From Home. We're going to be talking about Apollo 11. We'll be talking about Yesterday. Basically, all the films that came out and I missed when we were on holiday. The guys have been out in force to go see them. I can't wait to be chatting about this sort of stuff. Back with a game. We've got some announcements coming in the pipeline as well. Stay filmy till next time. Bye-bye. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.